right. Well, there was this uh, little girl, and uh, she, uh, you know, it's not too unusual. She went to her mother one day and asked her mother, you know, where, where do human beings come from? And the mother explained that God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had children, and their children had children, and their children had children, and on and on it went till here we are. And the seemed to satisfy the little girl. Several days later, though, she went to her father, and she asked the exact same question. And the father said, well, you know, many, 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 many years ago, there were monkeys. And little by little, they became more human-like until here we are today. Well, of course, that was rather confusing for the little girl. And so she went back to her mother. She said, Mama, I don't get it. I thought you told me that God created human beings. But Dad said that we come from monkeys. And the mother said, oh, honey, don't worry about that. I just told you about my side of the family. And your father told about his side of the family. I guess that does answer a lot of questions for us, huh? All right, well. This morning we're going to continue in the book of Revelation. And we're, gonna, we're at Revelation chapter 21. And I've entitled the message this morning, Everything is New. Everything is new. Father, I just thank you for this morning, what's already transpired. I thank you for Bob and the the worship team. I thank you for all of our worship people. Uh, They give themselves so freely. You've gifted them and they let us experience a little bit of heaven. And I'm thankful for that. And now as we come to your word, I just ask that uh, you would really prepare our hearts. I don't believe there's any more important book than the book of Revelation in the days that we live in. And so I just ask that you would make Revelation 21 come alive this morning. I thank you for each and every person here, and I know that you personally invited them, Lord. So you have a blessing for them. May they receive it. May their hearts be open to it. May you give us ears to hear what your word has to say. And I pray that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. The words that I would speak would truly be your words, words that would bring life and hope. And so I thank you for what you're going to do now in these next several minutes, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven. Most of us thought about it. It's actually hard to comprehend, isn't it? Something so other this world. And I love what it says in Revelation 25. God from the throne cries out, look. I am making everything new. I don't know about you, but I love that line. I am making everything new. And I don't know about you about in terms of new things, but I just love new things. You know, I love a new car and that new car smell, don't you? I love a new house. The reason why I love a new house is because I can't pound a nail straight and I don't have to fix anything. You just move right on in there. And it's great to have a brand new house, you know? And, uh, I love a brand new football season. You know, who knows? The Minnesota Vikings may win the Super Bowl next year. Anything's possible at the beginning of a brand new season, right? Anything is possible. I love new clothes. I remember when I was little and my money was tight, actually, when I was very small. And I'd get these hand-me-downs. And who wants a hand-me-down? I mean, you know, you got, you know, they're worn. You got patches. And, you know, I I wanted new. I, I wanted new clothes, you know, new shoes, There's just something about new. You know, new carries the idea fresh, unused, pristine, unspoiled, 
New even carries the idea of having the ability to start over, and a lot of us would like a do-over. It says in Revelation chapter 21, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me there, Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Literally, the Greek says they've gone out of existence. They vanished. And the sea was also gone. Now, I find that kind of interesting. Why was the sea gone? Over 75% of the earth right now is presently watered. It says there's going to be no water. The seas are going to be gone. You know why the seas are gone? Because no longer will we be separated from one another. Water separates, and there's going to be no separation in the new heavens and the new earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I thought the video depicted the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem so well. I heard, verse 3, a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I'll tell you. Now we come back full circle, don't we? You know, if you know your Bible, then you know in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, we're told there that God literally walked with Adam and Eve. Can you believe that? God walked with Adam and Eve, and they were fulfilled. They were satisfied with their life, and God said it was good. In fact, God said it was very good. But then we are told in Genesis chapter 3 that God allowed Satan into the garden. He allowed him into this pristine place. And we saw last week the reason why God did that is because, you see, at least one of the highest values in the universe is love. God seeks a love relationship with each and every one of us. And in order to have a love relationship, you have to have genuine choice. And the Garden of Eden, initially, there was no choice. It was just God and his way. So he allows Satan in. Satan is the alternative. Satan's alternative, by the way, is that you can be your own little God. You can call your shots. You, self, you're number one. And that's, by the way, why the world's the shape that it's in. And Satan, no doubt, whispered to Adam and Eve, and he said, Do you think this is pretty good? Do you think what you see in the garden is good? You see, he planted doubt. And I told you before, doubt always sets us up for the lie. Satan starts with the doubt. Once you bite down on the doubt, now you're open. You and I are open for the lie. And the first lie that Satan, I think, whispered to Eve and Adam is he said, you know what? God's holding the best from you. That's a lie. And then Satan gave another bigger lie, and he said, I'll tell you what the best is. The best is having all knowledge. You see, God is holding the best from you, Adam and Eve. See that tree, that knowledge of good and evil? God knows that when you eat of the fruit, you will have all knowledge, and you will become divine. You will become like God. And that is a huge lie. Let me tell you, you and I will never be God. God, by definition, there can only be one God. Because to be God, you must be omnipotent. You know what that means? It means that you are all-powerful. To be God, it means that you are omnipresent. It means that you are everywhere present at all points at all times. It also means that you are omniscient if you are God. It means that you have all knowledge. You know everything. Anyone here know everything? 
Well, some of you might think your spouse does. But all right, that's another message. If you are God, you are eternal. You are self-existent. You are the uncaused cause of the universe. And by definition, there is no one here in this room, there is no one out there that carries any of those attributes. I want you to know this morning the reality is I need God. You need God. The reason why you and I need God is because only God can give you and I life. Only God can give you life. Now, I love it so often, you know, people will say to me, and I'm sure you've heard this, and I'm talking about non-believers. Non-believers will say, you know, I don't need that God garbage stuff. God is just a crutch. You ever heard that? Anybody ever heard God is just a crutch? I, I don't need God. And I say, no, 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 you got it all wrong. God's not a crutch. He's life support. No, no, he's life support. You can't live without him. You know, the air you're breathing comes from God. You know, the food you eat comes from God. You know, the very dirt on the ground comes from God. You know, the light that you experience and the heat you experience comes from God. It all comes from God. We need God. We desperately need God. He is life itself, and you cannot live with God, and I cannot live without God. Have you ever thought about why you sin? Have you ever thought about why we sin? Anybody? Well, I'll tell you why. It's fun. fun. We got one honest person. We got one sinner in the group. All right. (laughs) He's right. It's fun for a season, but there's another reason why we sin. You know what that is? Because it makes us feel alive. And that's not all bad. Now, it's not good that you sin, but it's not bad that you want to feel alive. You see, you and I were designed to feel alive. We were made to feel alive. We were made for every fiber of our being would be on fire with life. And so often, though, we feel dead on the inside, don't we, in this lifetime? And so we sin. I don't know what your flavor of sin is, but you sin. And for a moment, you feel electrified, but you see, sin has a dark side. You know what the dark side of sin is? The dark side of sin is that it devours your soul. And eventually, sin will destroy your soul because it separates you from God. And I'll tell you, when you're separated from God, you're separated from life itself. You see, only God can give you life. Only God can give your soul life. Only God can create satisfaction and fulfillment in your soul. When you sin, what it does is it excites the soul, but it can't fulfill and satisfy the soul. And that's what's going to make the new heavens and the new earth so fantastic. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, we are going to literally be in the presence of God. We are going to be fully alive. Can you imagine what it would be like finally to feel fully alive in your life? Every fiber is alive and no more deadness. No more deadness. That's why heaven is heaven. And this is not. You know, the psalmist had it right when he said in Psalm 8410, he said, Better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. Do you believe that? You see, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be in the courts of God 24-7. We will be in his presence. We will be electrified. We will be full of life forever 
and ever and ever. And that's what makes heaven really heaven. Now John continues on, and he tells us this in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from the believer's eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now, I find this verse actually extremely interesting because remember I said context, context, context. It says literally in the Bible that there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, but it's not till after the millennium. It's not till after the final rebellion of humanity and Satan against God. So let me explain what I mean by this and what the implications are. Let's say I were to die right now. Always thought, what better place to to die? Right here, right? While I'm preaching, doing something for God. I I, I couldn't think of a better place to die. So let's say I were to die right now. You know where I would go? And some of you are going, well, I'm not so sure where you would go. But (laughs) I would be in paradise. Because that's what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Now you're saying, well, Frank, you're boasting. No, and I want to clear something up from last week because I know some people were upset about last week. But let me say this. The reason why I would be in heaven is not because Frank Ray is a great guy. If my wife were here, if she's teaching, she'd tell you that I'm not a great guy. All right? So that's settled. We, we, we settled that issue. I'm not. It all has to do with the cross right here. That's what makes Good Friday so great. Good Friday's good. It's good for us. It's good for us because when Jesus died on the cross, he not only forgives a person of their sin, but he imputes their righteousness. By the way, to get into heaven, you don't have to be just good or a nice person. You have to be perfect. That's what it says in Matthew 5, 48. You need to be perfect. And see, Jesus not only forgave. When I went to Jesus Christ some 30 years ago and I got down on my hands and knees and said the crudest sinner's prayer ever you heard... I not only received the blood of Jesus Christ, but his righteousness was imputed to me. And at that point in time, I was perfect. Now, some people were upset with me last week because I talked about John Lennon. They said, how dare you put John Lennon? How dare you put John Lennon in the great white throne judgment? And I I wanted to say to them, I said, well, wait a minute here. Have you read about John Lennon? Did you understand what John Lennon wrote and stood for? John Lennon represented the East. Reincarnation, the doctrine of of karma. John Lennon believed that. My sweet Lord, or that's George Harrison. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But John Lennon, I can only imagine there's no heaven, there's no hell below. John Lennon categorically, if you read him, rejected Jesus Christ and Christianity. And all of his music, or a lot of his music, was pointing you to the East, telling you that you would find life in the East and the obliteration of your personality and becoming one with the one. It's nothing short of Hinduism. George Harrison, you know, everybody loves George Harrison. And my sweet Lord, we all sing my sweet Lord. Oh, my, my, my sweet Lord. Hari Krishna. Hare Krishna, if you listen to the song. See, he's pointing you to the east. These guys aren't benign. You know, we think that music is benign or books are benign. Nothing's benign. They were promoting and selling the east. And John Lennon, by the way, suddenly had a bullet put in his head. He never even had a chance, by the way, to recant. So I see people telling me all the time, say, well, you know, You might be right, Pastor, about 
you know, heaven and hell. But, you know, I'll make that decision for Christ just before I die. Well, how do you know John Lennon didn't know he was going to die on the day he did? God just put a bullet right through his head, and it was over. All right, so I believe that if I were to die right now, I'd be in heaven. I'd be in paradise, but I wouldn't have a body. You see, I wouldn't receive my resurrected body until the rapture of the church, which occurs at the sixth seal. Now, I might have an intermediate body. We don't know. If you read 2 Corinthians 5, there's a debate whether you have an intermediate body or not. But that's not for certain. But there's three verses in the book of Revelation that are actually quite interesting that tell us a lot about what presently is happening in heaven. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 9. And we actually learn a lot about what's happening in the present heaven. Skip, can you put that up real quick? There it is. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? Before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, the fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. In these three verses, we do learn a lot about heaven. The first thing we learn is that you are conscious. Some people, because of maybe their background or purgatory, think that their soul sleep. Until you receive your resurrected body. You learn from these three verses that you're very conscious. Not only are we conscious, though, we have voices. So if I was to die right now, I would have a voice, and they can talk to God. Can you imagine? They're asking God a question, and God answers. And wouldn't that fabulous? There in heaven, you can see God. You'll see him face to face. You can ask God, and he will answer your questions there in heaven. The other thing, though, that we can infer from these verses is that Believers are actually aware of what is going on on planet Earth. People have asked me, will I know what's going on on planet Earth if I were to die right today? And these verses seem to infer it because these people who were martyred realized that the people who had killed them had not been judged yet. So they were at least having to be somewhat aware of what was going on in heaven. And then in Revelation 18.20, we're told this. It says, rejoice over her fate, O heaven. The her there, of course, is Babylon. And Babylon, we've learned, is a code for Rome. Rome will be the capital city of the world when the Antichrist comes to power, the new world ruler comes to power. And it says this, rejoice, God said, all of heaven, all the people of God and the apostles and prophets, for at last God has judged her For your sakes. Now, the only way the people, all the people in heaven, can rejoice over the destruction and the judgment of Rome, the new capital city of the new world order, is if they know that it's being destroyed and being judged. In fact, it's quite possible that they were even able from heaven to see the judgment of Rome going on. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 has always fascinated me. It says this listen to this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything, watch this, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for it. How do I run that race? How do you run that race? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. The only way that you and I can run successfully in this life is if you look to the left or to the right, surely you will get off the path. But if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, 
you can run this race and you can run it well. But what I love about Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 is I can picture it in my mind's eye. Skip, can you put up the picture? I, here's what I picture in my mind. Can you see, imagine all of the believers who have died now are in heaven? And there they are. They are standing. They are standing there in heaven. And, and all the believers that have passed on, whose accomplishments on the playing field of life have now become a, a rich part of a testimony to Jesus Christ. And there they are. You see them? They're gathered there in heaven's stadium. Heaven has a stadium. And there they are. And they're looking at the playing field called earth. And what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 seems to infer is that I think there may be a stadium and you can go there and at various times you can see what's going on on planet earth. And they're cheering us. They're cheering us on. Perhaps there's people here this morning that have had family members, friends, believers who have passed on. And you wonder, can they see me? Have you ever wondered that? Can they see me? I think Hebrews 12.1, I don't think, I'm not saying they can always see everything that you do. Thank God. Some of you need to think about that. But I think there are times that they can gather at a portal of some kind, maybe a stadium, and they can see what's going on on planet Earth. And, and they're cheering you. And they're cheering you on. And they're even interceding. Don't quit. I I can tell you, they're they're, they're interceding. Pursue Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. And don't quit. I think that's really a very, very good possibility. Now, at some point, I've died. I am going to receive my resurrected body. All of a sudden, boom, I'll notice I have a resurrected body in heaven because the rapture occurs. And you know what occurs after the rapture for the believer? The judgment. The judgment. The believers, every believer has a judgment. It's called the Bema Seed of Christ. And we're told this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul writes these words, For we, that is all believers, must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve. For, now watch this. For the good or the evil or bad we have done in this earthly body. Skip, can you put up the picture? There you see the beam of seed of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't think, and I've said this before, this judgment has nothing to do with your eternal destiny. I want to make that clear. It has nothing to do with heaven and hell. That's already been settled for the believer because the blood of Christ and his righteousness has been imputed to him. But I do believe that there's going to be tears and sorrow at this judgment for believers. I think there we're each going to have to give an accounting of our stewardship Do you realize that God has given each one of us a certain amount of time? He's given us a certain amount of money. He's given us a certain amount of material possession. And we're going to have to give an accounting of that. And we're going to see how we spent the time that he gave us, the money that he gave us, the material possessions that he gave us, the talents that he gave us. And the question's going to be, did I use those things for the glory of God or did I really just use them for myself? And see, everything that I did for myself, if I used my money for myself, if I used my time for myself, if I used my abilities for myself, then all those works are just going to burn up. And there will be sorrow, I believe, and there will be tears. I also believe there's going to be tears because if you didn't confess sin, unconfessed sin will be there. 
That's why there's a heresy going around that believers don't need to confess their sins. That's just balderdash. And that's a theological term. But that's just ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. If you sin, you need to confess that sin for cleansing and to have a restoration of fellowship. And then it says in Psalm 103:12, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed my, your sin from you. Then it's true. But if you don't confess your sin and deal with it now, then it's going to be brought up at the judgment. You don't want that. And there'll be sorrow. You know, I, I, I can't instill into you enough. Jeff, can you come up here for a minute? I cannot instill in you enough to, I think everyone should have one of these in their house. You know, because it's a great picture of reality. (laughs) Keep going. You you just keep going down that stair because you're going into eternity now. We think Jeff's going to make it too. Okay, well, he's stuck in eternity. But just imagine, he keeps on going. I I want you to see he's going to keep on going. Now, this is your life. This is my life here on planet Earth. 70 years, if you're fortunate. 70 years right there. And we bust our rear ends for 70 years, don't we? So that we can have, what, 15 years of that good old goose egg, that nest egg, right? That most of us don't enjoy anyhow. All right. 70 years. Can you believe it? And then you have all of eternity. He just keeps right on. Look at it. Look at that white. No, no. I want you to see this. You got to picture this thing in your mind. What are you working for? I can't emphasize enough to you. You know what this life is about? It determines what your destiny, your eternity is going to be. It determines what you're into, and I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. But I can't emphasize to you now, why do we sit there and waste our time on a world that's passing away when eternity is forever and ever and ever? Please look at this and think about it. So what you do in this life is going to determine your rewards and your position and eternity. All right. I also believe, though, that there's going to be joy at the judgment seat of Christ. The reason why there's going to be joy is because there's going to be things that we did do right. There's going to be times that we were obedient. We experienced the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we were obedient, and we'll receive rewards for that. I also believe that we are going to be there during the millennium. We're going to have our resurrected bodies. We're going to be reigning with Jesus. And I think, sadly, though, we are going to see that end-time rebellion. We're going to see Satan loose. And we're going to see millions and millions of people. It says it's going to be like the sands of the seashore. And we're going to see all of these kids who were born during the millennium. And they're going to follow Satan. And we're going to see them go to their destruction. And that's going to be very sad. And finally, I think, as believers, we'll be at the great white throne judgment. I believe we'll be there with Jesus. And there's going to be family and friends there who you talk to about Jesus, who refuse to receive Jesus. And you're going to watch Jesus say to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. And you will see them consigned to hell. And I think that will bring sorrow. I really do. I think that will bring great sorrow. But then what does it say? It says following that, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Everything is going to be made new. And then it says in verse 4 that there'll be, then it says there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. 
And then in verse 5, it says, See, I make all things new at that point. And then in verse 6, I love verse 6. Verse 6 says, It is finished. Three, there's only three times in the Bible that God says, It is finished. The first time is 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ on the cross yelled out and he cried out, It is finished. And what he was saying is, I am done with sin. I have paid for sin in full. And then again we see God in the throne in Revelation 16, 7, and he cries out, it is finished from the throne. And what he's saying is, I have finally judged the earth, and I am done judging the earth. And now in Revelation 21, 6, from the throne, God cries out one last time, it is finished. Satan has been judged The old, scarred earth and heavens have been vaporized by fire. And now there is a new heavens, a new earth. Skip, can you put it up? And a new Jerusalem. And this is what every single believer has been waiting for. Is their time here is when this is going to occur. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. You're in the presence of the living God forever and ever fully alive. This is our hope. This is what we're waiting for. And my prayer is that I will see you all there. That I will see every single one of you there. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray. As we sing this last song, Holy Spirit, that you would just make this reality so real to people. That you would just make it so real to each and every one of us. So many of us are caught up in this world. We really believe it matters. And Satan has lied to us and fooled us. As if this world can deliver life. It can't. I pray in these next several minutes as we sing this final song, Holy Spirit, that you make it so clear, yourself so real, that only you can give people the life that they're looking for. Each one of us has this God-shaped vacuum within us and we're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. And so many of us are so tired and we haven't found it. I pray we find it this morning in you. And realizing that we can start eternity now by just being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I ask for this for each and every person here. In Jesus' precious name, amen.